0: I got a question for you. What do you really want, need, desire, or long for? Really? I think that's the number one answer on the survey. Top five answers. I want you to think about just, not just in your marriage, but in your life, in your relationships. What is it that you really want need desire or long for there's probably a lot of things that we could talk about and definitely love is one of them but what i want to do is i want to put up on the screen seven desires or longings that i believe everybody has and i want you to see if you can relate to any of these as you're, as you're thinking about your marriage your relationships Because I think it's very important that you identify what you really desire or long for. A lot of us get frustrated because we don't have what we need. But part of getting through the frustration and resolving the frustration of the conflict is getting clear what you need. Because there's always an unmet need under every frustration. So what what is it that you really need? One core desire that I think people have is Attention. You see it real early in life when little kids are playing and they say, Mommy, Mommy, watch me, watch me, watch me. Right? We all want attention. We all want to be seen. We all want our, our presence and our feelings and our needs to be considered by those around us. We want quality time. We want the people that we love to be attentive to us. How many of y'all get a little frustrated when your spouse is spending too much time on their iPhone or their iPad or their phone texting? You go out to eat and you say, "Will you please put that thing away. You know, I mean, don't you get a little bent? Why do you get bent? Because I want time and attention. I want time. I want attention. I want some quality time you to just focus on me, see me, right? Second thing people need is affection. That's tender attachment, fondness, and yes, physical connection and touch. You know, infants that are separated from their mothers too early at birth suffer from something called failure to thrive syndrome. If they don't have that Initial bonding where they are hugged and touched and comforted, they have serious emotional and behavioral problems later on. We all need to be touched. We all need to be held, to be hugged, to be petted. Some of us wish we could get as much petting as the dog gets. I'd like to have my belly scratched a little bit. Some of us got a dog that sits on the throne. You go try to hug your wife and the dog growls at you. There's a serious problem. they got a TV show that you need to watch that teaches you how to get the dog off the throne. Some of us got the kids on the throne. Three kids in the bed in between, you know. I mean, come on. All of us want a little time and, and a little attention and affection. Touch. And then we also want affirmation. I don't know anybody that doesn't warm up to or need words of affirmation, words of praise. Some of us growing up didn't get a whole lot of praise. We didn't, you know, we were, we were always felt like it was never good enough. That's why we react to some of the things in our marriages today the way we do. We get, you know, we react to criticism because we want to be praised. I mean, can you find the good in me? See the good in me. Tell me what I'm doing right. You know, not just a little compliment, not some flattery, but really, how about some words of encouragement? How about a little praise every now and then? You you with me? I mean, people want these things. And if you'll notice the first three or three of the five love languages that we're all familiar with, time, touch, words, quality time, physical touch, and words of affirmation. I think everybody needs those things. Some of those more than others. Some people a little less. Some people a little bit more. But we all need those things. We all long for those things. And then acceptance. I don't know anybody that doesn't want acceptance. That is approval to be liked for who you are. A sense of belonging. You know why people, kids, gravitate toward gangs? Why some people tend to hang out with a, a group that has a lower set of values than them? Because they are accepted. They get more acceptance from them than they do the people in the church. They get more acceptance from the gang than they do the family of God. Because they're approved. They're accepted for who they are. And, and they feel a sense of belonging. All of us want that. And then Significance. Which of us doesn't want to feel valued, worthy, or important to have a sense of meaning in our life? Do, do you feel valued, like you have worth, like you're important? All of us want to be important, especially to our spouse. Sometimes we feel like we're number five on the list. Sometimes we don't even feel like we're on the list. You just put me in your top five this week. Then what about security? I think everybody also wants security. Why do you think we live in neighborhoods? Why do you think we get insurance policies? Why do you think we get so freaked out by the news? Because we want to feel safe. We don't feel safe. In this world that we live in today, we don't feel safe. We don't feel secure. Some of us in our relationships don't feel safe. You don't feel safe to say how you really feel. You don't feel safe to say what you really think. You don't feel physically safe because the other person gets mad or abusive. You you know, we all want to feel free or to experience freedom from danger, fear, and anxiety. We want to feel protected. And then the last thing is, We all want satisfaction. You know, we all want fulfillment, real meaning, real fulfillment in our life, which could also look like true joy and contentment, not just peace, but a sense of being fulfilled. There's a lot of things that we do in our lives that make us feel good, but leave us wanting where we don't really feel fulfilled. So when you look at those seven things, attention, affection, affirmation, acceptance, significance, security, and satisfaction, I would say, and this is not an exhaustive list, that these are seven core desires that everybody has to some degree or another. What do you think? Which one of these, which of these can you most identify with? And, and, while you're thinking about that do you think that this kind of gives a picture of what love looks like we're going to we're going to get to that i think personally that love looks like being attentive it looks like affection it looks like being affirming it looks like accepting people unconditional love it looks like Making people feel important, it looks like making people feel safe. It looks like supporting people experiencing true fulfillment. I think that's what love looks like. I think it's a pretty good picture. How important do you think love is? Check out what Jesus said because someone actually asked him a question once one of the religious leaders a scribe it appears in mark twelve twenty eight through thirty one and Jesus actually quotes Deuteronomy six five and Leviticus nineteen eight eighteen. That's why the words are capitalized in some that's well, up there on the screen, where it's capitalized, that's actually a, a verse that appears in the Old Testament that he's quoting. One of the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, when Jesus was out and about teaching, asked him, Jesus, what commandment is foremost of all? In other words, what's most important, Jesus, out of all the things that we've been taught, that you've said? And this is what Jesus answered. The foremost, the most important is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? These are Hebrew words originally that are translated into Greek, so it's kind of tricky, but I'm going to just kind of tell you what I think it means as it's being taught here, as Jesus is saying. When he says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, that means the inner man from the core of your being, which also means affectionately. Then you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul. That means with your life. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. That you love God with your life. And then with, with all your mind means with your understanding. By seeking to know him and his words so that his principles and values form the foundation of all that we think and do. And then with your strength, with all your strength means with force and with power, making service to God and man your main purpose in life. When you combine all four, it means loving God with the totality of your being, more than any relationship, activity, achievement, or possession, which is actually the first of the Ten Commandments. And then he says, you shall love your neighbor love your neighbor as yourself. You know, after Jesus said this to the scribe, the same scribe asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And what story did he tell him? The, t- the story of the Good Samaritan. You remember the, the guy was beat up, laid half dead in the street and, on the road, and you know, a priest comes by, passes him up, a, a teacher of the law comes by, passes him up, and then a the Samaritan comes by bandages his wounds, takes him to an end and cares for him, and you know, and then Jesus makes the point, you know, who's your neighbor? Who was a neighbor to the man? And you could deduce from that story that our neighbor is anyone that God places in our path that has a need. It could be anyone. Our neighbor is other people. Anybody in, within our sphere of influence is our neighbor. Anybody that God puts in our life is our neighbor. So in other words, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor, love others as we love ourselves. Now, you know, that that last one, we often refer to this as the two great commandments, but there's actually a third one in there. It's, It's not emphasized, but it's implied. Because when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, what does it mean, as yourself? It could mean two things, love others in the same way that you love yourself, or while you're loving yourself, don't forget to love your neighbor. Notice the command assumes that we already love ourselves and further that we're supposed to love ourselves. I'm going to get to that later. Suffice it to say that we all need love. When you think about those seven core desires, I ask you the question does that give a good picture of love? Does that give a good picture of what we need? And you know, if you're a Christian, you've been a while, around a while and you've studied the Bible, you cannot go to the Bible and find out what we need directly. It's tricky. But the Bible does talk about what people need. But the way you got to find it is you got you can't go in the Bible and look at what what does a husband need, what does a wife need, what do people need. You have to go into the Bible and look at what God commands us to do for other people or toward him and then you can infer what is needed. In other words, if if God tells the husband love your wife, it means the wife needs love. If God tells the wife to respect the husband it means that the, wife, the 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 husband needs respect if the bible says encourage one another it means that we need encouragement you with me and i could go through a whole list of it we just talked here about that god says love god and love others as you love yourself do you think that we could infer from that that we also need god's love and we need love from, from others. We need love. And, and, you know, I could talk about love in a lot of different ways. I gave you the seven core desires. We could talk about the five love languages. Time, touch, uh, words, service, and gifts. I could talk about the three types of love, which is, is uh, eros, which is an erotic kind of sexual, physical love phileo, which is a, more of a, an emotional type love, and agape, which is more of a spiritual love. It's true love. It's unconditional love, the love of God. I could talk about body, soul, and spirit and how each part of us needs those three kinds of loves. Probably many other ways that I could talk about it, but I just want to s- stick to a simple, basic definition, because we have one in the Bible. It's given to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, and here he's talking about agape, and I want to talk about agape because I believe agape not only transcends the other two, it's a higher form of love, it's true love, but it also encompasses all other forms of love. It is what we ultimately, truly need, what we cannot live without. And Paul gives us a definition. We've all heard it read at weddings, you know, uh, that we, while we're looking at each other's eyes, you know, intoxicated by Eros and Phileo, we're saying, oh, yeah, patient, kind. We'll do all that. And then none of us practice it a a month after we get married. Uh, But anyway, it reads, and you all know it love is patient. And this is agape. Agape is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. That word is not jealous. It means envious, covetous. Because you'll you'll uh remember in the Bible that in the Ten Commandments, God says about Himself, the Lord your God is a jealous God. Okay? So jealousy, there's a good kind of jealousy and a bad kind of jealousy. You're gonna have to come to the weekend to hear that one. But it does not mean what we think it means. It means love is not envious. It doesn't want what it doesn't what it what is not rightfully ours. And then love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Now, really, I could just teach the first two. These, there, there are actually 16 characteristics of love in here. And um, I used to teach all 16, but it seemed kind of ridiculous given that I had never mastered being patient and kind. So anyway, I've, I've narrowed it down to eight. Kind of paraphrased it. I'm going to only give you eight. So my paraphrase is this. Love is patient, which means the capacity to tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without becoming angry, upset, long-suffering. You can just take a little inventory while we're doing this. How are you doing with patience? How patient are you? Second thing is love is kind. Most people don't realize that kind really means gentle. It means not harsh. It also means considerate, generous, and courteous. How kind are you? Because you see, we're supposed to be all these things. This is a commandment. We're supposed to be patient and kind. If you're not patient and kind, it's a sin. Okay, it doesn't matter if you feel like it or not. You're supposed to be it. These are not feelings. These are attitudes and behaviors. Then love is also humble. It's modest. It's not boastful or proud or haughty. Then love is unselfish. Love is focused more on the welfare of others than on self. It has a servant's heart, gives and sacrifices regularly for others. How are you doing? Then love is self control. That means temperate. That means you respond rather than react. You're not easily angered or easily get upset. How are you doing with that one? Then love is forgiving. It, it's not bitter. It, it doesn't hold grudges. It, it forgives seven times 70. It forgives over and over and over and over again. It doesn't mean you put up with bad behavior, but it means you forgive things that are done to you. You're willing to let things go and turn it over to God. Then love is also optimistic. Love looks for the good, believes the best, stays hopeful, maintains a positive attitude. All things are possible with God. And then lastly, love is persevering. Love endures trials and does not give up without a fight. Love never fails. True love never fails. Now, I left one out. Actually, if I I took one of the other characteristics, I could say that we're also to speak the truth in love. Okay, love sometimes needs to be tough. We need to lovingly confront people sometimes. That's also true. But we commonly think of this passage in terms of what we need to do, how we need to be. And every time I preach on it, I feel convicted because I feel like I fall short. I don't know about you. What I want you to think about for a minute is what is the implication as to what we need from God and others? First of all, if God is telling us to be patient, kind, humble, unselfish, self-controlled, forgiving, optimistic, and persevering, then we need from others patience, right? Don't we need people to, hey, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. You ever heard that one? I know I was a jerk, but can you remember who I was yesterday when you said I was a good man? Remember, my wife says, You're such a good man. I said, Remember that the next time I'm a jerk, will you please? <laughs> then we also need kindness and gentleness from people. You know, if you're going to correct me, try to do it in a kind way, a gentle way. Don't be harsh. Don't you need that? Sometimes. Then we need to be treated with respect and dignity. Don't we? Wouldn't you like to be treated with respect and dignity? When the Bible says to be humble, if you're humble, you're going to treat other people with respect and dignity. You're going to treat them the way that you would want to be treated. We need to be treated with respect and dignity. It's not a it's we we need it. It's not just a want, we need it. And then we need consideration and cooperation. We're supposed to be unselfish toward others. But but sometimes we need other people to consider our feelings and needs, don't we? That's not a bad thing. If God says to be unselfish, then that must mean that sometimes you have needs that I'm supposed to pay attention to. If I'm that other person, it means sometimes I have needs that need to be paid attention to. You see what I'm saying? And then we need to feel safe. If the Bible tells me to, to, to be self-controlled, to control my anger, it must mean that I need to feel safe. I, I need to feel like I can tell you how I feel and tell you what I think without feeling like you're going to bite my head off or leave me. I need safety and security. I need to be able to trust you. Right? It's not a want, it's a need. And then I need forgiveness and grace. Oh, my God, do I need forgiveness and grace. I fall, I fail, you know, over and over and over again. I need to be forgiven seven times 70. I need a lot of forgiveness. Me and Michelle have been married 29 years, and we've both forgiven each other a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. It takes a lot of forgiveness to make it 29 years, I'm telling you. And then, hey, if the Bible says be optimistic, believe all things, hope all things, you know, be positive, then... I need praise and encouragement. I need to be praised. I need to be told what I'm doing right. I need a little encouragement sometimes. I need you to pour your courage into me so that I feel uplifted. Sometimes I get down. Sometimes I'm not having a good day. I could use a little support sometimes. Don't always expect me to be strong and all together. Sometimes I get down. I need some encouragement and praise. How about you? And then forbearance. Persevering also means forbearance. You know what forbearance means? I need forbearance from others. It means a refraining from the enforcement of something as a right or an obligation that is due. In other words, it's a little more than patience. When you're persevering with me, I need sometimes for you to put your own needs aside and bear with me for a little while, sometimes. And hopefully I can do that for you too. Now, we are to be those things. We also, the implication is we need those things. The other thing we often forget is that God, you ever heard the, the scripture, God is love? It comes from First John 4. I'm going to get to that in a minute at the end. The Bible actually says God is love. Everyone who's born of God loves and who doesn't whoever doesn't love is not does not know God because God is love. God is agape. God in God is true life, Zoe, and true love agape. And so therefore, even though I'm to be these things and I need these things, God is all of these things toward me and toward you. God toward you is patient and long-suffering. Thank God that he's able to suffer for long periods of time. Amen. Thank God he's patient. He's slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. He's full of kindness and gentle. You know, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble. Jesus is gentle. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God would deal with you in a matter? How do you think Jesus would deal with you in a matter? You think it wouldn't be gentle? And kind? And patient? That's who He is. And then God is unpretentious. That's that humble. It's another word that means humble. Unpretentious Means free from any attempt to deceive or impress others, genuine, true, sincere, real, and unaffected. God is unpretentious. God is also incredibly generous and charitable. He gives us way more than we can ever think to ask for. He's slow to anger. He exhibits perfect control all the time. He's forgiving and merciful. He's incredibly good. He's tenacious, which means he's persistent in maintaining and adhering to or seeking something valued or desired. He goes after the one lost sheep. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He did not come for the saints, but for the sinner. He's the father of the prodigal son. He never gives up. He's persistent and determined to win us over. No matter how bad off, no matter how much we reject him, he went to such lengths that he came and became one of us and died to pay the penalty for a sin that he did not commit, all so that we would be wooed back to him through this unbelievable act of love. Do you ever think about what you need And who God is, in addition to what you're supposed to do? My question to you is, and this is the core of what I want to try to get to, which is going to be what the whole retreat is going to be about. I know the retreat is called Marriage 24, but I would title it, Getting the Love You Want, Giving the Love They Need. The title today of this message is Getting the Love You Want. I'm going to show you why you don't give the love you want and also how to get the love you want in the next few minutes. And then I'm going to expand on it in the retreat. We're going to cover it in a much more detail and in a way that can really give you a chance to to do some things that really need to be done. And you know what the good news is? None of this is dependent upon your spouse. It'd be great if your spouse gets on board with you and works on this with you and works together with you. But you know what I'm going to tell you? It doesn't matter what they do. Everything I'm going to tell you in the next 15 minutes is all about you and you can do it no matter whether the people in your life do it or not. You can be healed and you can get the love that you want no matter what anybody else does. How'd you like to know how to do that? So, if you think back to the seven core desires that I mentioned, what happens when these core desires and our need for love is not met? What do we do and how do we react? Because we all know that there's a lot of people around in this church, you don't feel loved the way that you would like to. It's the number one reason people leave marriages is because they're not getting their needs met. It's the number one reason why people's relationships break up because they don't feel loved. They don't feel like they're getting their needs met. That's the bottom line. Whatever happened underneath it, they don't feel loved. So this is what I want to kind of give you an overview before you all put anything up on the screen. This is what happens. On one end of the spectrum... We have these God-given needs. All of us do. I just described them. And some of us, we get into a marriage or a relationship and we try to force the other person to give them to us. We, we look to that one person, namely our spouse, to give us everything that we need. And they can't give it to us. So we end up trying to demand it. Either through abusiveness or coercion, or by being so needy and dependent, threatening suicide and being so clingy and, 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 and presenting a picture like, we're going to fall apart if you don't love me, please don't leave me. But we we try to demand that our needs be met. On the other end of the spectrum, maybe we we've learned through life and through a bunch of experiences, that other people are not going to be there for you. I grew up in a family where my dad was an alcoholic, my mom was a crazy codependent, and neither one of them had healthy families. Neither one of them knew what it was to to love or be loved, so they couldn't give me what they didn't have. So I grew up feeling like the two people that are supposed to love me didn't love me the way that they should. And you know how I adapted? Hey, it's better just not to need anything. I mean, if I have to rely on other people. I'm never going to get my needs met. You know, so I'm just going to be needless. I'm going to be anti-dependent. I'm going to be super independent. I'm going to take care of myself because that way you don't get hurt. Maybe you lost someone, someone burned you, you know, someone rejected you, someone died. And you decide because of that, that I don't want that anymore. So you put up a wall. You make a vow, I'm never going to let someone do that to me again. I'm never going to allow myself to be that close to anyone again. Both extremes, you're not getting your needs met. When you try to demand them, you ain't going to get them met. Because the other people that you try to demand them from can't meet them. When you say, I don't need that, and some people even... You know they do the godly thing isn't it a virtue to deny that yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ you know you 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 deny your needs that's supposed to be a good thing i'm supposed to live for others and god and but you're you're not getting your needs met and so then when you don't get your needs met then what you do is you displace your true needs and you end up turn into one of six things and there's there's six of them so let's let's go let's let's go through the the things on the screen put up demanded problems arise when our core desires are disordered number one is demanded that means that they're forced abusively you know the beauty and the beast um the beauty tried to force I mean the the beast tried to force Bell to love him but he had to get her to love him without forcing it. Some people try to force another person to love them. And then they get angry and become beastly when they don't. You know, this morning I was, I woke up very early this morning before dark, and then I heard this ruckus outside my house. And I looked out my window and it was this guy that was yelling at his wife, I guess it was his wife, pulling her hair, telling her to get back in the house. I've never seen that in my neighborhood. I don't know what house it was. It was not right by me, but it was down the street. He was trying, you know what that was about? Really? Way down deep, he was a wounded man who probably was abused as a child, never got love, and but he tried to force his wife to give him love. And the more he forced it, just like the beast and the beauty and the beast, the less she wanted to give it to him. So the more she pulled away, the more beastly he became, the more beastly he became, the more she pulled away and she puts up a wall. Well, what do you expect? But down at the bottom of it, he needs and craves love. His heart is broken. His heart is needy. But he doesn't know that. He doesn't know how to tend to it. He doesn't know how to get it fixed. So he looks to his wife to meet all those needs, and she can't, nor can anyone so then number two when when the other possibility is you disown your needs, like I said, I did and and you even if you do it in a Christian sense and you're living for God and others, you know what you we often hear crucify yourself and Give yourself for everybody else. You know, did you ever think that Jesus, when he did his three year ministry, he didn't have a job, he didn't have a wife, and he didn't have any kids? I often thought it'd be interesting to write a book called Jesus Married with Children. (laughs) What would that look like? See, yeah, I'm supposed to be like Jesus, but I got a job, I got kids, I got families, I got a responsibility. I can't just totally deny who I am. I can't not pay attention to what my heart yearns for. If God says love him and love others, that means I need love from God and I need love from others. And I also need to learn to love myself. And if I don't, and then I go try to do something noble like Christian ministry and serve God and serve others, I will end up burned out, broken, beat up, and I'll end up doing the third thing, which is displaced needs. And this is what happens when people don't take care of their heart. They begin to do things to replace or supplant what they really need, which what we often do is medicate our feelings caused by unmet needs, which is feeling unloved by turning to things like alcohol and drugs. That's number one. Food, sex, work, entertainment, and unhealthy relationships. So... What we end up doing is we end up settling for a counterfeit. C.S. Lewis hit the bullseye when he said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine was what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. When our heart's core desires are not met, it's very painful. So we end up trying to demand or force people to love us, or we just cut off our heart. We lose heart. We just say, I'm not going to need anymore. And we think that's good. But you know how many people in Christian ministry that have done that, that I've met, they get depressed, and then they got this secret porn addiction, or they got this secret sin that they do, and you know why they're doing it? Yes, it's sin, and we got to stop the sin. But you know what's at the root of it? Is that their hearts, their core desires are not being met. They don't feel loved. They're not connected right with God, with others, and with themselves And they're in pain, so they medicate. Isn't that what we do? I turn to alcohol and drugs. That makes me feel good. It numbs me. I I eat food when I'm lonely or bored. You know, I have sexcapades. Uh, You know, a lot of times the types that we do, it's easier and more convenient than the real thing, but it doesn't really satisfy. It's not really what we want. I promise you. Then work, we pour ourselves into work. You know, I used to do this to get my need for attention met. Speak. I used to get kudos. People would say, man, that was so good. And I would get all this attention. I mean, you're all up here looking at me. But you know what I realized? That a lot of, part of my life was about doing that compulsively, just like people work compulsively to get a good feeling but the thing is, none of you out there, with the exception of a couple, really knows me. So even if you come and pat me on the back and you say that was good and you know I enjoyed that, it's not like sitting down with Rob or going to lunch with Rob and we share as peers and, and he sees who I really am and he likes me for who I really am, not for what I do, and that I can connect with him on a personal level. This is not a substitute for that. That's why movie stars feel so lonely. they got an entourage of people around them. That's why people like Marilyn Monroe kill themselves. Because they don't get what they really need. And you can be working and being successful at work and in ministry, all the while your heart's never getting anything close to what it needs. And then entertainment, games. Nothing wrong with games. I love games. Some of y'all are addicted to games. You escape with the TV, with your little computer games. You know what I'm going to say about Facebook? Facebook, it's not inherently evil, okay? But do you know that in a recent social media uh, workshop that one of my assistants did that does all that stuff for me because I'm not on Facebook, Um a new study that was just done that found that 20% of all divorces are directly linked to activities on Facebook. And I have very strong feelings, and I will not share them with you. <laughs> but I see couples all the time where I'm telling you what, that phone, that iPod, that computer, and the Facebook. You know what it is? It's, it's a form of relationship, but it's not true relationship. So you think you're connecting because you're you know checking up on everybody and you're texting. It ain't the same as a real human being. Just like porn ain't the same as real God given sexual intimacy. It ain't the same. And if you sat, if you do all that stuff, you're going to be caught up in something that's going to occupy you, but your heart is going to be dying on the inside for love which is what fuels the compulsion and addiction in the first place. You can't just cut these bad habits and addictions and sins out without figuring out how to give your heart what it truly needs, which is love. Now that I know that I need attention, I can go to a small group. I can go have relationships with guys. I love to play golf. I used to go play golf and say I was going to go have fellowship with the golfers. You know, Two of them would be serious. One would be throwing his clubs. We wouldn't have any sharing. And afterwards, you know, I'd hurt my my finger. My hip would be hurting. And I'd come back and I'd be so unsatisfied. Because what I really wanted was connection. And I didn't get any of that. Oh, and yeah, they said good shot. And, you know, my, my, my ego was boosted because I hit it better than everybody else. But you know what? I didn't get what I really needed. Now that I know what I really need, I can purpose to get what I really need. From God, from my wife, from other people, and I can give a little bit of it to myself. Those are the four sources. My wife ain't going to give me everything I need. No way. Even if she was perfect, she can't meet all of my needs. She can't heal all of my wounds. You know, then other people, I can have unhealthy relationships. There's a lot of unhealthy relationships out there. But I can choose healthy relationships with same sex and get a lot of what I need from those relationships, which takes the pressure off of my relationship with my wife. And then I can get love from God. I can actually go to God and God can just love me. And I can learn to receive love from God. And get really all the love I need from God. God's tank never runs dry. My wife's tank sometimes is empty. My best friend's tank is sometimes empty. Sometimes my tank is empty. God's tank is never empty. And then, you know, sometimes I gotta, I gotta realize I'm not in heaven yet. I'm not gonna get everything I need. Sometimes I gotta take care of myself. Sometimes I just gotta be a man and take care of myself. If I'm feeling lonely, I can't get anybody on the phone, feel like my ba- prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Okay, well, what do I need? I don't have to engage in some compulsive addictive behavior now that I know what I need. i I'll love myself. I'll be patient with myself. I'll take care of myself. I'll go do something fun for myself. So how do you get what you, how do you get the love that you want and need? This is what we're going to do all weekend with the, with the marriage retreat. And if you're single, you can come because like I said, it's not just about couples. Number one, you need to dig deep and discover what inhibits you from giving and receiving love. The five W's, your wiring, that's your temperament, can inhibit it. Your wounds, past wounds, can get in the way. I just described that. We're all weak in certain areas. Some of us are not real affectionate. Some of us have a hard time asking for help. Uh, Then there's wickedness, which is our own sin. Sin gets in the way of love. And then warfare. It's not just the devil. It's my flesh and the world. All those things. You need to dig deep and discover what inhibits you from giving and receiving loves. And number two, you need to devote yourself to love. You need to learn to receive love and give love. Make loving God, others, and yourself the priority of your life. It's hard to love when you're not experienced being loved, and it's very, very hard to stop sinning and stop doing some compulsive, addictive, or unhealthy behavior if you don't get love. You can't just cut that out. And not tend to your heart. And then number three, you need to learn to diversify your investments. You know, I got four places I can get love from. I can give it to myself. I can get it from my spouse. I can get it from other people. And I can get it from God. A lot of us, first of all, we don't even know what we need. We don't even know that we need love. We don't know that feeling unloved is at the root of everything. And we don't know how to get what we need. So most of us, we look to our spouse to get it, primarily. They can't give it to us. So we wear them out. We either become the beast or we put up a wall and say, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't take, I'm not going to get hurt anymore. And we wall off. That's the end of our relationship. Some of us will go to others. The problem is we go to unhealthy others. They're unhealthy relationships. They're sick relationships. And we don't end up getting what we need. Most of us don't know how to love ourselves. We're supposed to love ourselves. Aren't you supposed to hate what God hates and love what God loves? Last thing I heard, God loves people. Are you a people? You're supposed to love yourself. A lot of ways you can love yourself. Take care of yourself. Be good to yourself. Be patient with yourself. Forgive yourself. Go do something with yourself. But you know the ultimate place we need love is from God. I want to close with this scripture I tell you, 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. When I repent of my sins and admit I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't love, I failed. I repent of my sins. I ask God to forgive me. God became a man, took the rap for all my sin. If I believe that and I ask Him to forgive me, He forgives me. Then He gives me eternal life, which is when I die, I go to heaven, but also that eternal life comes and lives inside of me. True life by way of His Spirit, He puts His Holy Spirit inside of me that fills me with true life and true love. Now, I have the love of God dwelling in me. Now I've got a limitless reservoir of love in me that I can draw on. And then that spirit, that love empowers me to love. While I cannot make anybody love me, look, you can't make anybody love you. All you can do is choose to receive love and give love. You cannot make anyone love you, so stop trying. If you got to control or manipulate anybody into loving you, it ain't love. Forced love is no love at all. If I ask my wife on a date and she says, I don't know if I want to go, all right, I'll go. Don't go, I'll go by myself. Seriously, I like myself, I'll go by myself, we'll have a bag of peanuts and we'll enjoy ourselves. I don't want to be pitied. I don't want to have to beg for love. Come on. You know how unattractive that is? To to try to force love and be the beast? Or be this needy, poor, pitiful little creature like, please love me, please love me, please don't leave me, please don't leave me, please don't leave me. God, the last thing I want to do is love you. Get off of me. You need to be healed and receive true love and have your heart healed by God and learn how to love yourself, learn how to get love from other people so that you take the pressure off of that relationship and learn to bring love into your marriage rather than always trying to get love from your marriage. And then watch what happens. Miracles will happen. So I want you to bow your heads with me. Let's pray. I don't know where you are with this message. I don't know what God is speaking to you. But I want to just say a word to those of you who maybe, maybe you just feel like you, you're not right with God. Maybe you never really heard it like this, that God is love. Maybe you never realized that when you receive God, you receive love, true love. And it's available. All you got to do is admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, what he did on that cross, counted for you, and commit your life to him. Ask him to come into your life. And if you want to do that, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer. Just pray it in your own heart. God will hear you. You don't have to say it out loud. Dear Father in heaven, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need you to save me. I believe that Jesus Christ was your son, died to pay the penalty for my sins, and rose from the dead to be seated at your right hand. Therefore, I ask for forgiveness of my sins based on what Jesus did for me. I thank you that through Christ I am forgiven. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I surrender control of my life to you. I ask you to come into my heart and make me be the kind of person you want me to be. Fill me with your love in your life, in your Holy Spirit. I commit to follow you the rest of my life by your grace. Amen.